welcome everybody. It's good to see you here and I'm glad to be with you. Filling in for Pastor David today as he's preaching at the Stevensville campus and Pastor Crystal is preaching at Benton Heights. So you are stuck with me today. Hey, I'm really looking forward to that event that I, I call Fools with Axes um, on April 1st, right? So anyhow, we're going to have fun. Listen, uh, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like an imposter, like you're unqualified, like you're incapable, like you're unworthy? I suppose that all of us have moments like that in our lives, especially when we get into a, a new or uncomfortable situation. But on the humorous side, a few times in my life, I've been on a flight where I have been bumped up to first class. And uh, what's really fun is when you're traveling with a group and you're the one that got selected. Now, the first time that it happened uh, to me, I was on a flight from an airline called Aeroflot, which is a Russian airline. And it's a little disconcerting when somebody with a with an Eastern European accent says, sir, can you please step aside? You know, uh, that's a little disconcerting. But I did it. And uh, they said, we, we oversold the flight, but we have a seat for you in first class, sorry. <laughs> and so then uh, before they closed the curtain, a couple of times I would lean over and look back and catch the eyes of my partners who were traveling with me, and they'd give me dirty looks. But you know, when you get bumped to first class, you have all the accoutrements of a, the nice meal. They put a little tablecloth. They give you real silverware. This is back in the day before 9-11, but they give you real silverware and basically you're treated like no one else. And the hard part is that you feel like you're unworthy, unqualified because you didn't pay the king's ransom that it cost to sit in first class. Well, you know, every one of us, like I said, has times when we want to prove to others that we are qualified, that we are worthy. It got me thinking about a young pastor who graduated from seminary. He was still single, and he took a, a charge in a small-town church. And in this uh, very first pastorate, on this first Sunday, he wanted to prove to the congregation that he indeed was worthy to be there. He was educated. He had a degree. And though he may be young, he could, you know, carry the mail. And so he got up on the very first Sunday for, to preach his sermon. And in a very formal stained glass voice said, my sermon today is titled an ontological presupposition for the proof of the existence of God. Well, then the uh, congregation politely listened to his sermon. And there was a little elderly widow woman in the congregation who thought this might be a good opportunity to invite our new pastor to Sunday dinner. So she invited him to come to her home. And he arrived and sat in the front room listening to the big old grandfather clock ticking while she was busy in the kitchen preparing things, setting them in the dining room. And he thought it's so quaint. It reminded him of going to his grandmother's house when he was a little child. After she fed him well, roast beef and mashed potatoes and all of the 
trappings and even a piece of pie and a good cup of coffee afterwards. At the end of this uh, meal, she said, well, pastor, we want to tell you how much we appreciate you coming to serve our church. And I have a slight suggestion for you. Are you ready for this? She said, next Sunday, when you get up to preach, please talk to us about something that we know a little bit about. And furthermore, please talk to us about something that you know a little bit about too. <laughs> and you know, that's exactly the way it is when we're trying to prove to others that, that we have status. And on this Sunday, when we move into this sermon, A Journey Through Holy Week, we're talking about the Last Supper, and we get to thinking about those guests who were at the table, the disciples of Jesus. And as we study their lives, we begin to ask ourselves the question, who are the worthy guests? Were any of them really worthy to be at the table? Perhaps you come to the Lord's house often feeling the same way. You've come to worship, but you have your struggles, you have your failings, and you have your faults. And perhaps you even hear the accuser of the brethren, the enemy, our adversary, whispering in your ear, you are not worthy. This message today is one to give you encouragement because we're going to be talking about the new covenant that Jesus established. We're going to be revealing what the disciples did when they began to have these, this sense of entitlement wrongly, and we'll look at Jesus' teaching about servanthood as the real sign of worthiness. Now, today I want to just share with you, before we read the text, you can begin to turn to Luke chapter 22, but I want to read this sermon in a sentence. So here it is, the sermon in a sentence. In the kingdom of God, worthiness is not determined by who you are, but by whose you are. Now, let's have a little bit of uh, fun with that today, because if it indeed is a sermon in a sentence, if you read that out loud with me today, you can go home to your friends and say, I preached at First Church today. So let's do it. Let's read it out loud. In the kingdom of God, worthiness is not determined by who you are, but by whose you are. Let's take a look now at our text found in Luke chapter 22. The words are on the screen if you want to just follow along. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I'll not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. 
which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other, which of them would ever do such a thing? Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. Then the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. This is the word of the Lord to encourage us today as we begin to open the word and to begin to study what Jesus has to say. So if you keep your Bible open, there's just a few verses that I want us to take a look at. And the first we see how Jesus dealt with the bread. He took the bread, verse 19 says, and he broke it and he passed it among them and he said, this is my body given for you. Now, in the Jewish Passover, the lamb was to be central. But in Christian communion, the bread is central. We'll get to that in a moment when we talk about the new covenant. But just, just understand that Jesus was talking about his sacrificial death. And he was saying to them that my body is sacrificed or given for you. Now, some of you may not know your Christian history very well, so I'll just remind you that the Passover is a celebration that began at the time when God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And these plagues were coming across the, uh, the land of Egypt. And so what God said is when the death angel comes across Egypt... Those who have taken the blood of a sacrificed lamb and put it on the doorposts and on the lentil across the top the, will be spared from the death angel visiting their house. He will pass over. And so for the generations hence, the Jewish people in worship lived in remembrance. In remembrance. That's what the Passover is. It's a remembrance of salvation that was sealed by the blood. And now we go to this next phrase, which is found in verse 20. When Jesus said, uh, let's look at this, it's, it's underlined. I think it's the next slide, please. This next phrase, we see then, go one more slide if you don't mind, so I can see it, okay. Uh, then he be, well, let me see. I, I, I'm lost, you guys. I'm very sorry. Would you go back? Then he said in verse 20, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Now, this new covenant thing is a really big deal because he says it is confirmed with my blood. Confirmed with my blood. 
The old covenant was sealed with the blood of a lamb. The new covenant was sealed with the blood of the lamb of God. And can you imagine why the Jewish leaders there in Jerusalem were so opposed to a man who talked in such a way as to say, the old covenant now ends? Remember who is sitting at the Passover table. And it's quite interesting that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, it is God himself in the person of Jesus sitting there and saying, a new covenant is coming. A new covenant in my blood. Who makes the covenant with, pe with God's people? God does. And he was sitting right there at the table saying, I will now serve as the Lamb of God. Many people don't really understand the import of trusting alone in the blood of Jesus Christ when he said he sealed the covenant. So I want you to think with me just, a, just kind of hypothetically about what it may have been like when the thief on the cross walked up to the gates of heaven. You remember in the crucifixion that this thief on the cross called out to Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Why, the angel might have said, this is highly irregular. We don't seem to have a record of you. You have no church membership. You have never been baptized. You never knelt at an altar of prayer. You never attended a Bible study. And another angel stepped forward and said, can you recite the theology of justification by faith? And he said, I don't know about any of that stuff. All I know is the man on the center cross said, I'll meet you here. And that's our hope. That's the gospel. We hear resonating in our minds the words of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever will believe on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So our sense of worthiness does not come by what we achieve or by acclaim or by stature or position. Our worthiness comes like the thief on the cross. The man on the center cross said, I'll meet you here when you believe in the power of the Lord. Now, the third thing I want to talk to you about is how easy it is to miss the point. It's so easy to miss the point. Verse 24, they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Now, get with me back into this Last Supper. Here, they are sitting with the Messiah. The Messiah has taken the form of a servant and washed their feet. The Messiah has broken the bread and said, this is my body given for you. The Messiah has said, this is a new covenant sealed in my blood. And in this holy moment, this sense of the divine point of history, the disciples began to argue among themselves as to who would be the greatest. 
Now, before we get too condescending, before we get too critical, let us be reminded that this is the same kind of thing that every one of us has to struggle with, is we get distracted and we miss the point of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, look, in my upside-down kingdom, those who are the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Now, you know, I've been able to travel into some pretty interesting places, and I've visited people's offices where I've seen on the wall, you know, pictures of these people standing next to senators and even presidents and, and well-known people that you've seen in the news as if it's some sort of a stature. Now, we're all grateful for the associations that we have, and we're grateful for those who are public servants. We are. Many of them have a great sense of devotion to our country and to our community. But in the family of God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no palace. There's no prince. There's no peasant. And there's no pauper. In the family of God, we are all alike. And having spent 40 plus years in ministry, some of the amazing people that I've met who have taken on that, that life of servant of all have blessed my life so much. Now, when I was a little boy growing up in Sunday school, there used to be a song that we sang. Don't worry, I won't sing it for you, but here are what the lyrics to the song said. Jesus and others and you, what a wonderful way to spell joy. It went on kind of a little kid's song, but it was teaching us to put ourselves in the third place. First is a relationship with Jesus, then we live to serve others, and then we worry about ourselves. Jesus, then others, then you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. And when we get our minds off of being self-centered, like these disciples arguing among themselves, who's going to be the greatest among the kingdom? And Jesus said, let me just show you. The greatest will be the servant of all. In a moment, we're going to share together in a time of worship and a time of communion because we're going to be remembering who Jesus really is and what he did for us. Some weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon in another city where the sermon in the sentence was this, you can't have everything until you have nothing. And I know that sounds like double talk, but I want you to know that that's, that's the strange paradox of what it means to live for Jesus, is that we come before Jesus with our nothingness. We come not with pride, not with uh, any sense of entitlement, but we come before him with nothingness. Some of you remember the name of Richard Wormbrand. Maybe you've read the book, Tortured for Christ. Richard Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor who in the 1980s was imprisoned in Romania under the very harsh conditions of a Bucharest prison. In the cement bowels of this prison, he and a group of other Christians were imprisoned because they went against the dictator Ceausescu persecuted and tortured for their faith, and they would not recant. And they were held in isolation. And Pastor Wormbrand 
and these other Christians devised a way that they could communicate with one another. They weren't allowed to talk. They had no paper to pass notes. But what they had was a sewer pipe that connected all of these cells, and they created a code where they could tap out messages. And so one of the men tapped out, Pastor Wormbrand, we desire to have communion. And he said, I have nothing. And he meant it. There was no stained glass. There was no music. There was no Bible reading. There was no cup of wine, and there was no bread. There was nothing with which to celebrate communion. And one of these prisoners tapped back, and he said, nothing is something because we possess nothing. And God created the world out of nothing. And God hung the world in nothingness. And we possess it. So let us use our imagination to share the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Wormbrand, in his book, tells about how he would lead communion services when there was no singing. They had no bread. They had no cup to pass. And he later wrote, as he got out of prison, I had many wonderful worship experiences in my lifetime, but none of them so meaningful as the time we observed the Lord's Supper with nothing. In order to have everything, you have to have nothing. So today I want to draw you to the Lord's table. And Pastor Chad is going to come and lead us in an extended time of worship. I want you to be reminded of who we are as the people of God. And we look at one last scripture that's found in Acts chapter 4. After the day of Pentecost, when these disciples were preaching, listen, the scripture says, and the members of the council were amazed because they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they could see that they were ordinary men with no scripture training. And they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I hope that as you leave this service today, just as I hope that when I preach to you, that is evidence of being with Jesus. And I hope that that will radiate on your face and that you'll hear the words of Jesus saying this to you. You are not disqualified from the Lord's table. You are not unworthy from the Lord's table. But it's perfectly ordinary people who trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation that makes up the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you with nothing. No position, no power, no circumstance, but just an open heart to say we want to worship you today. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table and we take of the bread and drink of the cup, let us do so in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.